Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. Today on State of the World, Ukraine's tech industry works to defeat an enemy and rebuild an economy. Thanks for listening to State of the World from NPR. We bring you the day's most vital international stories up close where they're happening. It's Wednesday, December 13th. I'm Greg Dixon. Ukrainian cybersecurity and tech experts are working closely with the government in the war effort, even though they haven't always gotten along. And as NPR's Jenna McLaughlin found, many in Ukraine also think the tech sector will be key to rebuilding the country's economy and convincing Ukrainians to return. I'm at an office in downtown Kyiv. It feels like a Silicon Valley startup, complete with fancy coffee machines, nap pods, and even a few office cats. Except the bottom floor is now a bomb shelter. We're talking about an innovative new product, Spybuster. Started to develop uh, it by myself because I don't want to like bother other guys and girls. Sergei Krivoblotsky is the head of technical research and development at MacPaw, a Ukrainian software company. He made an app that scans your phone for other apps connecting to servers in Russia and Belarus to sniff out potential spyware. Thus, Spybuster. You might recognize the inspiration for the name. Ghostbusters, you know, this uh, icon of ghosts. Uh, what's your name? Companies like MacPaw are a major part of the war. They volunteer time, services, technology, but they're also a key part of Ukraine's future. They need to figure out how to help win the war, but also revive Ukraine's economy. They want to bring home Ukraine's growing diaspora of refugees and expats. Because technology and IT might be the country's best hope. Right now, though, they need to make it through each day. Even if it's a good day, it feels like something heavy is around, just around your shoulder. That's Oleg Stukalenko, the head of MacPaw's new cybersecurity division. So maybe my... My hope, my um, idea for that is just removing that weight. Removing that weight, the war. Stukalenko is weary but confident that Ukraine's tech experts will win the day. But not everyone is so sure. At a cafe 20 minutes away from MacPaw's office, I sit down with Mykita Kanish. He used to be in government intelligence, and now he's a cybersecurity businessman and hacktivist. We meet in the afternoon. He's not exactly a morning person. Hackers normally works until uh, 4 or 5 o'clock, and uh, so it's actually my starting of the day. <laughs> yeah, the first person that I meet today. His first meeting of the day. Kanish is smoking a hookah pipe, seemingly endlessly, in between jokes and curse words. To say he was skeptical of the government and its willingness to work with Ukrainian cybersecurity experts would be putting it lightly. The hackers are not able to test any type of uh, websites if they are not allowed. Not allowed. Basically, he's saying the government didn't want to let him and his colleagues test their servers for vulnerabilities. In fact, back in 2020, the government raided his and other experts' homes, thinking they'd hacked Odessa Airport, when they actually tried to report a security flaw to try to secure it, they said. But more importantly, Kanish insists the government didn't listen to hackers' warnings, that war was coming in the winter of 2022, and that they were unprepared for what's happened since. Ukraine's government officials would contest that. By all accounts, they've done a good job defending the country's networks. But Kanish wants to go on the offense. 
That's partly why he says he took matters into his own hands and started a hacker collective called Hack Your Mom soon after Russia launched its full-scale invasion. Kanish is an extreme example of an outspoken critic. There are others who are less willing to speak up, who have similar concerns about corruption and lack of skill inside the government. In fact, multiple top cybersecurity officials, including one I met with while in Kyiv, Viktor Jura, were recently arrested. They're facing corruption charges. It's part of a long-time battle inside Ukraine's borders. <laughs> but many more are optimistic that war might actually be an opportunity for a new generation to lead, for an industry to be revolutionized. I meet Natalia Kusherneska in an office building on the outskirts of Kyiv. It feels like a tech campus. I'm here to learn about a new tech incubator. It's called Brave One. It's designed to streamline the pipeline between technologists and the Ukrainian military. I would say sometimes we're we're calling ourselves like translators, you know, from uh, a technology market to military market. She's the project manager, and she's already juggling more than 400 applications for funding and inclusion in the incubator. We've already some really nice solutions within electronic warfare. We've found some solutions within antennas, solutions within robotic systems, so it was our first point. Now we're working and we understand that it's AI. There's everything from underwater drones to robots. Some products have been adapted from their previous uses, too. Drones built for agriculture turned into high-end surveillance systems. Virtual reality programs designed for gaming turned into training modules. Natalia Kusherneska has to figure out how to turn those ideas into reality. <laughs> Actually, my previous job was Ministry of Economy of Ukraine. So um, I was an advisor to the first deputy minister. My best uh, skill is actually to make things happen. The ultimate goal is to organize a torrent of innovation, make sure it's practically useful during the war. It's a running joke in Ukraine that everyone has their own drone factory in their garages. Some are taking things a step further. Roman Seljuk, the Ukrainian former manager of the Moscow Exchange, left Russia for good in 2014 after the invasion of Crimea. Now, he's using his skills in finance to invest in Ukraine's future. It's technology. He's betting big on Ukrainian drones. For example, one of the companies I invested in is a, a company that makes these heavy, they're rebuilding agri-drones to actually carry uh, 30 kilograms of explosives. It's, uh, I'd like, it's unreal. When the thing flies, it's absolutely silent. And this is what Russian call this Baba Yaga, like boogeyman, because it looks... Uh, you know, the Baba Yaga, thing. the boogeyman. We meet at an old office building in Kyiv, overlooking Taras Shevchenko Square, honoring the famous Ukrainian poet. Some of the decorative elements of the facade have been blown clear off after a Russian missile hit a children's park just below. But now, the park is rebuilt. Seljuk has a grand vision for rebuilding all of Ukraine. Rebuilding of Ukraine will have to be across Europe, like international project. I mean, I I want to see people from all over the world and companies from all over the world coming here, helping, you know, this this has to be, you know, Ukraine has helped unite Europe, you know, over this last few years, helped unite NATO. And I really hope that actually, uh, you know, rebuilding it, that our politicians won't stand in the way. He makes a little dig at the ongoing corruption scandals. Then Seljuk gets a little emotional, a little wistful making the pitch for Ukrainians to come home to. That, uh, you know, we will open up the country to capital, to people. And, uh, yeah, our guys will come back as well, because it is, I personally think, the best place on earth to live. It's so beautiful. Perhaps that dream will one day be reality, after the war. 
Jenna McLaughlin, and PR News, Kyiv. That's the State of the World from NPR. Please consider supporting our journalism by signing up for State of the World Plus. You can do that at plus.npr.org or in Apple Podcasts. Thank you for your support. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you again soon. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Support for NPR and the following message come from Bombas. Bombas makes absurdly soft socks, underwear, and T-shirts. And for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash NPR and use code NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com NPR.